What's up, kinfolk? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today on the show, I'm going to talk with Big Ten Network analyst Jake Butt about what he saw from Michigan in their win against Michigan State and what he saw from Ohio State in their comeback win in Happy Valley against Penn State. We're also going to talk about my five burning questions ahead of the college football playoff selection committee's initial rankings. Try saying that five times fast. But first, let's start with my week 10 top 25 and take a look at how it stacks up with the AP top 25. All right. We're mostly in agreement about where we think teams are, right? And as far as these are good teams, these are bad teams, and then we're or not even bad teams. We just have some moving and shaking amongst uh, my rankings and their rankings. Starting with number one, I still got Ohio State at number one. They still got Georgia at number one. Fine. I think it's interesting to point out really quickly that the Associated Press has a tie at two with Tennessee and Ohio State. And I think that's more of what we've seen from Tennessee than it is what we've seen from Ohio State, meaning Tennessee has risen to the challenge every single time this week. And it's reflecting that. I'm still just not sold on Tennessee being one of the three best teams in college football. I think that's still Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan. I have my, I, I think Ohio State's just a more complete team than both Georgia and Michigan. And I think Tennessee still has a lot to prove here, man. Like the fact that you held Kentucky to six points in a win is great, but that you gave up more points to UT Martin is not. And I'm going to hold that against you. I think if you're going to schedule these FCS teams, you can't afford to let them score if you want to get credit for it in a college football playoff selection committee rankings, let alone my rankings or any associated press's top 25. But I think it says a lot that going into a game that could change hearts and minds, mainly mine, about what Tennessee is or isn't, two is fine, right? What I'm really interested to see is, well, we'll talk about it in my burning questions as we relate to Tennessee. And then for me, it's about tears at this point, right? Because we're getting to the part of the season where we're trying to whittle the field as to who can make and play in the college football playoff. And I believe that the AP agrees with me in that that conversation stops at number 10, right? That's where we are right now. All 10 of those teams have a road to the college football playoff. And I think all the teams behind them do not. I think that's pretty clear right now. But right now, Georgia, Ohio State, Tennessee, they all control their own destiny. You could even put Michigan and Clemson in there. But I think Tennessee, Georgia, they're going to weed each other out right this weekend. And then Clemson, if they run the table, they make the ACC championship game. We'll see. Michigan is a good football team. They'll weed each other out with Ohio State. We'll see. Alabama is interesting here because I think the Alabama, they went out, they win the SEC championship game. They're going to find a way in. It's just a matter of who did they beat and what are the other three spots? Texas, Christian, Oregon, USC, and UCLA is also interesting uh, in that where nobody is nobody's interested in making Texas Christian a top 16, not even me, even if they are undefeated because the eye test is the eye test. And if we do a resume test, you know, Texas Christian is number two team in the country. And everybody listening to this is like, nah, dog. No, they're not. And then you'd say they're undefeated. They got four ranked wins. Uh-huh. Who they played. And then we have a conversation about the big 12. So rather than continuing to put off my top five, Burning questions ahead of the college football playoff selection committee's initial rankings release on November 1st. Let's get straight to them. And we're going to go one to five on this thing. The first question I have is, could Tennessee be the number one team in the first college football playoff rankings polls? 
And the answer is yes, they could be. Uh, nod to producer Tyler on this, who's continued to say, we should not be shocked if they are the number one team when these rankings come out because they certainly have the resume to go with this. Uh, five ranked wins in eight games. That is the most ranked wins of an AP opponent for anybody in the sport, right? They also do it in the vaunted SEC and in the SEC East, which is no snooze fest. As a matter of fact, if we're just ranking divisions, we're probably making the SEC East the third best division in all of college football, even as we're getting rid of divisions in football. They got one of the best edge players in the country in Bryson Young, no relation. They also have uh, the best wide receiver in the SEC in Jalen Hyatt, who's already broken the Tennessee school record for TDs in a season. And he gets that moniker because, yeah, he sliced up Alabama Five, five touchdown passes uh, that caught in that game for 200-plus yards. Dude, they couldn't even stay on the field last year is having a year to remember in 2022. We'll see if he can hold on to that moniker because, well, to do that, his quarterback's going to have to continue to operate at a Heisman-caliber level. That'd be Hendon Hooker, who still hasn't thrown but one interception all year and just two since November 13th of last year. We're coming up on just, what, 14 days uh, since – 365 in a year, so two interceptions in a calendar year. It's pretty doggone good. And if they beat Georgia, we're going to have a totally different conversation on this show the following week because that would be a seismic event as we're talking about the college football playoff. And then just to go ahead and talk about it, I think I got what the college football playoff selection committee is going to do, though. I don't think it's going to be Tennessee at one. Much as I think they could be there, and nobody should argue if they are, I think the college football playoff selection committee is just going to continue to stay with what works for them. And that's being conservative and leaning on the past. So it'll be number one, Georgia defending national champs undefeated. They still got Stetson Bennett at quarterback, who I think is much more of a point guard in this system uh, than he is a playmaker in the system. Bryce Young being a playmaker rather than a point guard. That's the difference. Number two, I think we could see Tennessee at two and everybody be fine with that, right? Between one versus two in a regular season matchup almost like LSU-Alabama years ago, or even Georgia-Alabama when they're the crossers. Then at number three, I think you're looking at Ohio State. And number four, you're looking at Michigan. So what's great about that top four, though, is it ain't going to be the same come December. It can't because those teams have to play each other, which is kind of fun. And the closest thing we get to a real expanded playoff. But for now, we're stuck with these four. Second question that I have among my top five burning questions Will Texas Christian be ranked in the top four in the initial rankings? I kind of touched on it and nodded to it when we were talking about my rankings, the AP rankings. The answer is no. Like, it sucks because if you look at a blind resume, four rank wins, you're averaging better than 40 points per game. You got an outstanding quarterback putting outstanding numbers up. You got a defense that's been but don't break. And you're off to an 8-0 start in Big 12 play. If I told you that that team was Oklahoma, you'd say, yeah. That's a top four team because Oklahoma. But as soon as I tell you that it's Texas Christian, we're talking about the Scooby-Doo meme where I forget my man's name, but you know, the blonde dude with the sash around the neck, he pulling off the ghost mask and whatnot. And then it reveals that it's TCU and you feel like you've been shook. You feel like somebody been bamboozled. You feel like you've been hoodwinked. That would be what goes on. The nature of the sport. It's one of the things that I've had to really learn since I got into this Yankees job that is mine is that you got to talk about the sport the way it is, not the way you want it to be. And I'm very fond of talking about what I think could change for the better in the sport. But right now, the sport is about blue bloods and brands. And what did you do in the past? Because Cincinnati 
Runs table undefeated 2020, doesn't make college football playoff. Runs table undefeated 2021, okay, you did it in 2020, we can give you the nod here. I think there's going to have to be some moving and shaking at the top for the Horned Frogs to get into one of these spots, but it doesn't diminish what Sonny Dykes has done in year one, my goodness, at Texas Christian, where they still have the statue of Gary Patterson on the campus. Yet Sonny Dykes is the first coach in Big 12 history to get off to an 8-0 start. And it's the first 8-0 start that Texas Christian has had since 2015. All right? Like, nothing to sneeze at. They got Big Noon coming to town on this Saturday to play Texas Tech, of all people. I'm excited about that. See what they can do, get to 9-0. All you can do is hope that somebody in front of you slips, and then you get there. Or maybe you were going to learn what Oklahoma fans learned a little too late. It's not such a bad thing to not be in the dunker spot that is the number four spot in the college football playoff. It usually means the number one team is going to beat you like you stole something and you're going to feel embarrassed about it as opposed to, you know, playing in your sixth bowl game and then going to win, right? And then you can do what Utah did in 08. Run the table undefeated, claim a national championship. Or what Central Florida did in 2017. Run the table, claim a national championship. It's within your purview. I'm fine with that. I think you should be too. My third burning question, where will Michigan fall? This is going to be interesting. This is going to tell us a lot about just what the college football playoff selection committee thinks of the Big Ten and Michigan, right? Because I think Michigan adopting the SEC's philosophy for non-conference scheduling, meaning cupcakes, muffins, and donuts for an illustrious cakewalk is fine. You know, I was wrong to say that it wouldn't work or that I didn't. Wrong to say that it didn't work. I don't think I even said it wouldn't work. I said that I can't tell you that they're going to be good, right? But they said, RJ, we play a Big Ten schedule, and that counts for something. And we play in the Big Ten East, and that counts for more. And the more I look at this, and the more I look at Tennessee getting to schedule UT Martin in October, and the more I look at uh, these Chattanooga games and Mercer games that Georgia and Alabama get to schedule in November, the more I'm like, fine. If this is what the sport is, then far be it from me to tell Michigan that they can't schedule Colorado, Hawaii, and UConn. Shout out to UConn, by the way. They beat BC last night. Yo, hey, Jeff Hathley, that's, that's your BC. But I think Michigan's going to end up probably right where I put them at that number four spot. And that'd be kind of scrumptious because we're looking at perhaps a Georgia, Michigan, uh, one to four, maybe, maybe, right? But I don't think it's going to work out that way again because teams got to play each other. Georgia got to play Tennessee. Michigan got to play Ohio State. But I think that they're going to see what everybody else has seen, which is Blake Corum is outstanding in that backfield. And whereas it was thunder and lightning, as people like to say last year with Hassan Haskins and Blake Corum this year, lightning and lightning with Blake Corum running the ball 20 plus times a game. And then Donovan Edwards also being a home run hitter. You made an upgraded quarterback, which I think could help you in a college football playoff setting because J.J. McCarthy can make plays that, frankly, Cade McNamara cannot. You got outstanding defensive line play. Jesse Mentor's calling one hell of a game uh, every single game. Like, it's the first time that I can remember where the Broyles Award a winner, the Broyles Award winner, excuse me, could come from both Ohio State or Michigan in the same year. You know, Jim Knowles doing the Lord's work over there as defense coordinator at Ohio State. And then the triumphant, the, the trifecta, that is Matt Weiss and Sharon Moore on one side, Jesse Mentor on the other from Michigan. I could be fine with any one of those groupings winning the Broyles Award. That's nothing too shabby. Some really great football being played at the top of the conference in the Big Ten. Okay, number four on my list of burning questions here. Where is Alabama going to be ranked? All right, the short answer is ahead of Texas Christian and behind Clemson, which for me puts Bama at number six. Now, Bama lost to Tennessee. If Tennessee is at one, that's fine. 
that's fine for Bama because all they got to do is get back to the SEC championship game and then beat the number one team in the country, right? Provided Tennessee gets past Georgia. Still don't think it's going to happen, but it could, right? And who wouldn't want to see Bama Tennessee again in the SEC championship game, especially after we're talking about what is turning into a dream year for Tennessee after having never beaten Nick Saban ever tried beating him twice in one year. That would be outstanding to watch. But I also think that Clemson's going to get that nod because, well, Clemson's undefeated and Alabama's not. And Clemson has proven it doesn't matter that they play a watered-down ACC schedule. It doesn't matter that they schedule one good Power 5 team and then two cupcakes. It doesn't matter that they play maybe three ranked opponents all year. In 2018, they played just two. They have shown, 2018, 2015, that if they show up to the college football playoff, they can snatch a wig, okay? They can take Alabama. They can take Notre Dame. They can take whoever the hell it is you want to put in front of them. Ohio State, they're going to show up to play in that game, and that's worthwhile because, again, the playoff selection committee likes to say, we're going to put the best teams into the playoff. And I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. I I want this out of your hands just as quickly as possible. Suits at the Gaylord Texan making decisions about college football that's decided on a scoreboard will never be okay with me, but it is the system we have. All right. Last question I have here. How far is the climb for the Pac-12? Yo, hey, look. I was having fun a couple weeks ago, but it's still true two weeks from now. Or two two weeks. Well, it'd be true two weeks from now, too. The Pac-12 is the best at keeping the Pac-12 out of the college football playoff. You know? I mean, one way or another. You can take a win on the road at Ohio State, who won the Rose Bowl last year, and turn it into a dud of a year for Oregon, who loses not just the Pac-12 championship that year, but twice to Utah in 13 days. You can take Oregon, who's undefeated in Pac-12 play and been just rolling up everybody they played since their first game, and turn that into a I don't think those dudes are very good, so much so that they might be number eight when the rankings come out. Why? Because they lost by 46 to Georgia. Now, it's the kind of loss that feels insurmountable. It's like having a face tattoo. Everybody's going to try to be polite to you. But what they're going to be saying is, what is that on your face? Especially if it's a botched face tattoo. And that's what a 46-point loss to Georgia is, especially as Kent State put up 22. You cannot have an Oregon in the pack, or in the excuse me, in the college football playoff right now, knowing that Kent State scored 22 on Georgia, you scored three. Knowing that Missouri had a 10-point lead on Georgia and you scored three, it's just not a good look. But if you are inclined to believe that Oregon is a better football team today than they were when they played Georgia, maybe. But even then, you need lots of moving and shaking in front of you, and that includes. USC, UCLA, they need shaking in front of them. You need Texas Christian to catch an L, Clemson to catch an L, maybe Alabama to take a second L. You need carnage ahead of you, and you're going to get a little bit of it. But if you do not believe that Oregon is a top 18 or USC and UCLA are top 10 teams, the Pac-12 is looking at getting skunked in the playoff again. And as much as I crow about wanting to have the college football playoffs expanded 12 tomorrow, Nobody should be angrier about this than the Pac-12, who basically signed on to a 14 playoff when there are five Power Five conferences. Like it's just, 
I'm sorry that that, but that just sucks. It really does because I think there is good football played in Eugene. I think there's good football played in Los Angeles, even if uh, Angelinos don't want to go see it in the form of USC and UCLA. But you're also talking about does it matter and who's crowing for you, right? This is the part that I think is going to be interesting come December if the Pac-12 is indeed in a spot to get a fourth spot in the playoff. One of the things that the SEC has done very well is put Nick Saban on television, Gorby Smart on television, saying we ought to be in that game. And then you have folks online and you have your conduits saying they deserve a shot. I'm asking you, who are those people for USC and UCLA? And the reason I put it this way is because you look at stands and you reflect, do you like college football or do you like sports? Because we're having a college football conversation over here in the South. We're not having a sports conversation. The reason Oklahoma is a brand is because Oklahoma is the pro team. It's fine that you have other things to do in L.A. It's fine that the weather's nice and you don't need to wear a sweater like this. But when you're talking about playing in the college football playoff, it matters that your college football fandom is there too. Otherwise, you're going to have to be Matt Leiner, Reggie Bush, and Pete Carroll absolutely sunning everybody you play or it's just a tough, sled to pull up that hill not shade just facts all right let's talk about some more facts with big 10 network analyst jake butt all right now you know what i think i want to bring in big 10 network analyst and michigan alumnus jake butt to get his thoughts on the whole college football playoff picture but i want to start with this jake what did you think of michigan handling michigan state at the big house on saturday night wasn't perfect. You know, if you're a Michigan fan, it, it wasn't perfect. If you're a Michigan State fan, I think you could say, hey, you know, if you're a Michigan State fan, you should say, how do we start to play our season the way we play Michigan? Because it's the truth every year. They play, if this is their standard, you know, when they play Michigan, they play a couple notches up. And if you're a Michigan State fan, a coach, a player, you got to start to say, how do we play consistently throughout the year the way we play Michigan? If you're Michigan, you understand what this game means. And, and to me, going into the week, it wasn't about X's and O's. It was about moments. And it was about overcoming adversity. And I think that's what they did. I think the, the Michigan team, the way they play football, it just wears on you. I think Blake Quorum's a phenomenal, phenomenal back. I think the offensive line and tight ends are, you know, if, if they were the Joe Moore award-winning unit last year, they should definitely be in the conversation this year. And, um, you know, I, I think one thing too, RJ, is, you know, coaching comes down to adjustments, in-game adjustments. And for Coach Minter, the defensive coordinator, his in-game adjustments have been consistently very, very good throughout the season. It hasn't always, you know, Michigan State started fast. They were able to move the ball, but it seemingly in every single game, the Indiana game comes to mind. Um, throughout the season, the halftime adjustments have been able to really shore up the defense throughout the year. And, you know, if I had one takeaway as a Michigan fan, it, it's, hey, let's, if we can find a way, if you're a Michigan fan, if you can find a way to, to, to emphasize and execute on the downfield passing, now you show you're a complete team because this team is checking a lot of boxes across the board. They've won in different scenarios. And, in, 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 you know, if I'm Jim Harbaugh and I'm this roster, I say, hey, why can't we play with anybody? Why can't we beat anybody? And I think that's the mindset they have. Well, they've shown that, right? First with the win against Penn State, and now with this win against Michigan State. But Jim Harbaugh has also shown some things this season, too. How important was it for him to bring that Paul Bunyan trophy 
back to the big house. It's, it's so important. And, um, you know, it goes back to the Ohio State game last year. A win is a win, but what's the gravity of that win? You know, is, is, is what does it mean in, the, in terms of your legacy? Because when you start to talk about the bigger picture, that affects your decision-making in-game. And, you know, the history of this Michigan State game, I've played in some crazy, crazy games. I mean, I've told this story before. In 2016, we were heavily favored on the road at Michigan State. We had a hand, foot, mouth outbreak go across the team uh, in 20. And that's like a children's disease. It's like, man, what are the chances that that happens? Of course, it happens in the Michigan State week. So you go into this game, of course, the trouble with the snap, expecting the unexpected. And for the most part, it was kind of a, a very slow, methodical win where just they just squeezed and squeezed and squeezed and ultimately beat Michigan State down the stretch. But it's a big win to say, hey, listen, Mel Tucker at this point had been the 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 coach. He, he'd been the dominant coach in Michigan State, had been the dominant program since he got there in terms of Michigan, Michigan State. And for Coach Harbaugh, this was the chance to say, slow, slow down, guys, like don't don't get ahead of yourself. We're still Michigan. We still have expectations far beyond any given week. We want to win Big Ten championships consistently. We want to compete for a college football playoff. And I think a win like this in a rivalry game when anything can happen across any conference, you put it on the you put it on film that says, ah, slow down, guys. We're still very, very, very good football team. It's also interesting for me uh, as an outsider to Michigan and Michigan football to watch how it operates as opposed to how the rest of college football might operate. And the reason I put it that way is I had my first trip to the big house just a couple of weeks ago to uh, visit and take a look at Michigan Stadium. And one of the things that happened at that Penn State game was the anointing of the Lloyd Carr Tunnel. Very big deal for Coach Carr to get his name put on that thing. And then we heard a little bit later on that James Franklin called it a problem following a loss. A lot of us kind of took that as, okay, if you think it's a problem, go beat Michigan. And then apparently there was a problem in the tunnel once again in this huge in-state rivalry where we know the Michigan State Spartans were in the wrong here. But I'm curious as a person who played in both of those games and as a person who walked out of that tunnel many times, what's the layout like? What's the security like? And how difficult is it to keep those emotions in check? So most stadiums, as you as you kind of walk into a stadium, you know, you you got you got your your uh, oval shaped stadium right on one end of the stadium. The away team comes down on one end of the stadium. The home team home team comes down. You don't really ever cross pass, especially in an emotional moment post game. That being said, at the big house, there's it's 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 one tunnel. OK, is is. There's one tunnel to get in and out of the stadium as players and as coaches and as support staff. Michigan's home locker room exits the same way the away locker room exits. But the way the schedule's set up, it, it's not an issue. And, you know, I think the thing is, is, you know, you, these moments happen. And is it a problem what happened after Penn State? Absolutely. Is it a problem what have, happened after Michigan State? Absolutely. Those are problems. It's also true that it's not generally a problem to the point where you need to panic and make any emotional decision here. You know, 99% of the time, there's, there's nothing. There's nothing. And I was, I was at Michigan in 2013 when we played Ohio State. It was a 42-41 game. When we came out of our locker room, they came out of the locker room, there was some barking, there was some jawing, there was some back and forth. Uh, as a player, I can tell you, 
it's it's fun to have that as long as there's a very clear line drawn now lines have been crossed this year and you know who's at fault we're gonna we're gonna defer to other people i think accountability matters but you know it there is a little risk of some of that understanding football is an extremely emotional sport but i don't believe in emotional decisions either um that 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 the big house has been the big house for for you know decades a century so I, to say that two instances are all of a sudden warranting a change i don't know that i'm ready to commit to that right now um i think that something needs to be addressed in in specifically in the michigan state game because i'll tell you this man i said it all week part of what makes the rivalry versus michigan state great is it's built on hatred Part of the reason that that thing happened after the game is because it's built on hatred. It's okay to hate somebody and, and, and play across the line of scrimmage and want to beat them and want to bury them. That's called sports. It's not okay for either side to, to, to let their actions cross the line the way the line was crossed this past weekend. You know, it, it, you know that, that has to be a very clear line and emphasized by, by both departments and both coaching staffs. That's just the truth. And, and the leaders amongst the locker room as well. So I think oftentimes multiple things are true. And, you know, I, I hope there's a very clear line that's drawn and emphasized in this rivalry going forward. It's a very difficult line, right? Because we're also asking players to turn up and quite frankly, be violent in a very yes. quick amount of time and also ask them to back down and be quite frankly, gentlemen to yep. each other and asking for them to reckon with both of those emotions at the same time. It's going from fifth gear to first gear. You got to gear down. You got to gear up. There's a lot going on there. And I'm sure that there are cooler heads having conversations about maybe some other precautions that can be taken place when Michigan State, when Penn State are in town. Last year, we saw this also pop off when Ohio State traveled to Michigan. Michigan got the win. This year, Michigan's going to have to go to Columbus in what we think is going to be a de facto play-in game for maybe the college football playoff, but at the very least, the Big Ten championship game. What did you see from Ohio State in their comeback win against Penn State at Happy Valley? I've seen what – it just – it reaffirms your belief – if you watch Ohio State play and you've watched them for the past decade plus, this is Ohio State, is there's this feeling you get even when they're down. And this is very rare. It's not true for every team. Even when Ohio State goes down, there's just this feeling that, oh, well, Ohio State's going to win. You know, and I sure even Penn State fans think that. They're like, all right, we got a lead, but, you know, you're waiting for Ohio State to win. And, and they just they, – it's such a talented and a deep roster across the board that – you know, throughout the game, even if they do flutter, even if they do make mistakes, even if they do find themselves down, there's so many guys across the board on both sides of the ball that if they just make one play, that's all it takes to, to, to break the game open. You know, my takeaway is if you want to beat Ohio State, you can't beat yourself. You know, there's some teams you could beat yourself and, and still have a chance. Penn State beat themselves. There was, there was some, you know, critical play calling that I thought I didn't agree with. Um, you know, the interceptions and the fumbles, you know, by Clifford, who's I'll say he's a guy I respect. He's a competitor. He's tough as nails. But, you know, if you want to beat Ohio State, you got to find a way to avoid some of those mistakes because the team's just too talented. And the thing about the thing about Ohio State is some teams find themselves in the position to capitalize on mistakes. They don't always do it. Ohio State has the guys that do do it and they do it on a consistent basis. So 
Um, to me, it's a talented roster. Jim Knowles was, was probably one of the better hires across all of college football last year in terms of how can you elevate the floor and the ceiling of a team that defense is playing significantly better football. And, you know, you mentioned the Ohio state Michigan matchup and we'll talk about Michigan, Illinois. It's going to be an interesting one, but you know, those two teams with, with, all that's on stake. We talked about legacy early in this call too, is all that's on stake in this rivalry, you know, for Jim, you, you got the monkey off your back last year, you beat Ohio state. What happens if you go to Columbus and, and you beat them on the road? How is his legacy remembered? How is Ryan's day's legacy talked about, you know, that it's a legacy type game. And that's what makes football so fun is you're going to get to see two teams at their best at the end of the season. We touched on it a couple of times, Ohio state, Michigan, November 26th, the game, is going to probably be for a spot in the Big Ten Championship and perhaps playing against an Illinois team that is surging. You mentioned Michigan-Illinois is on the docket. Do you think that Illinois, should they win the Big Ten West Championship, has a chance to beat either Ohio State or Michigan in a Big Ten Championship game? So I, I really like Illinois' roster. Um, and, and I think, you know, I don't know how much – the national media or even the big 10 media watches Illinois. Um, for me, I had the chance to cover them. I called two of their games. I called Iowa, Illinois, I called Minnesota, Illinois. And those were their two games where they really started to put people on notice. So I got to see them at their best. The hires, you can start big picture, you know, Brett Bielema comes in and then he hires Ryan Walters, a defensive coordinator. Well, immediately Ryan Walters is, he's going to be a head coach, whether it's next year, it's, it's a matter of, when not if he's going to be a head coach you have a head coach coordinating your defense and that defense is playing phenomenal football you have Barry Lunny Jr the offensive coordinator those are two key key gets you went out and you shored up your guard position with with some juco guys bang the offensive line's playing phenomenal football you went and got Tommy DeVito a quarterback who at Syracuse was actually you know he was a solid quarterback when he was healthy but he was hit just about as 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 frequently as anybody in the country and I talked to I talked to Coach Bielema, and he's like, "Hey, they brought in Tommy DeVito before the offensive coordinator was was officially hired. That's a big thing because as a quarterback, it's like, how how do you have trust in a head coach? I don't know who the coordinator is. I don't know what the system is. But Bielema said, "Hey, listen, you're a good quarterback. You just need to stay healthy." Well, one thing I do, and this is Bielema speaking, is I have a good offensive line. We're going to keep you protected. So DeVito took a massive leap of faith to bet on Brett Bielema and the offensive line, and it's paid off. And then what you have with Barry Lunny Jr., and I think as some Big Ten teams are, are in some coaching transitions and they're looking to elevate their program, especially on the offensive side of the ball, historically good programs, Wisconsin and Iowa. Brett Bielema has the same identity as Wisconsin and Iowa, where they want to run the ball. But what Brett Bielema did is he went out and modernized that. He got Barry Lenny Jr., who they're going to run the ball with Chase Brown, who should deserve more national attention at the running back position. But they modernized it by getting into shotgun, running it out of spread, complementing it with RPO and read option, complementing it with play action. It's a complementary system where at the, at the snap of every play, all offensive plays look the same. And that makes it very, very hard as a defense to be overconfident on what the offense is trying to accomplish. So from top to bottom, the roster is great. The defensive line has three guys, Newton, Avery, and Randolph. They're 300 pounds, 300 pounds, 300 pounds. They run a 3-4 system. So you got a four-tech head up on the tackle, a nose guard head up on the center, and a four-tech head up on the tackle. Those guys are 300 pounds, 1,000 pounds across the board, extremely quick. 
extremely quick. They got excellent outside linebackers and middle linebackers. They got Witherspoon and Quan Martin, two guys both in the top towards the top of the country and pass breakups forced throughout the year. Kendall Smith is having a phenomenal year intercepting the passes. So, I mean, I, this is just, as I started to study him, I'm like, man, you know, history matters. You kind of have to do it consistently to get that respect. But I'm like, this is a very, very good roster. And, and this team presents problems for, for a lot of teams. I don't think they'll be favorited if they do make it to Indy, but I don't think they should be written off either. It's a very good point you make about Ryan Walters, who came from Missouri as defensive coordinator, where he got to watch what Dave Aranda was doing and took that front seven and decided to employ it at Illinois. And also to your point about Barry Lunny Jr., who came from UTSA, a team that was mm. very high on 2021 and a team that beat Illinois in 2021. Yep. Brett Bielema said, I can't beat him, so I'll hire him. I'm inclined to uh, give Illinois the benefit of the doubt, but I'm going to ask you again, do you think they can beat Ohio State or Michigan? All right. I just want to comment on one thing you said, because you brought up a great point about UTSA. When Barry Lunny got to UTSA, they were like 120th in the country in offense. When he left UTSA, they were 11th in the country, I believe. So it was a significant improvement. And, and Brett Bielema identified that. He also said Barry Lunny was a high school coach. And he, what he liked about high school coaches is you have to be able to teach the game. And he thought that that was great for college kids. If you can teach the game to a high school guy, you're going to teach it to a college guy. So I, I, I've always appreciated that. Can they beat Ohio State? Can they beat Michigan? I, they can. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm not saying it's impossible. It's a very, again, it's a very, very good roster. Will they be favored to win? No. On Illinois' best day versus Ohio State or Michigan's best day, I don't think Illinois wins that. I think Ohio State on their best day beats anybody in the country. I think Michigan on their best day beats anybody in the country. So um, I don't think they'll be favored, but I would definitely not count them out at all either. I think it's a very talented roster top to bottom. I think that's well said, right? Uh, any given Saturday, especially when we're talking about championships and needing to just win the next four quarters, I don't think any of us going to count them out. But it is refreshing to hear you say, hey, on that other side, of the Big Ten is still very stout, and we're not just talking about the Big Ten. We're talking about anywhere in the country. Uh, Jake Butt, Big Ten Network analyst and former great Michigan tight end, thank you so much for joining us here on the number one college football show to share your insight, and I'm really looking forward to having you back on later this season. Thanks, RJ, man. It's a pleasure. Okay, that's going to do it for us on this episode of the number one college football show. My thanks once again to Big Ten Network analyst Jake Butt. Our lead producer is Tyler Wojak. Our senior producer is Catherine Donnelly. Our director is Kyle Holly. Our social media maiden is Javion Duncan. Our lead screener is Rachel Cohen. I'm the host, RJ. We will see y'all on Wednesday. Deuces. <laughs>